Hello and welcome to Hallowed Ground, the Sports Museum podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Stockman. Sports certainly play a substantial role in communities large and small across the world. I'm excited to continue to highlight the scope of sports heritage with this episode. Today on the show, I speak with Jeff Cottrell, Vice President and Registrar at the Saginaw County Sports Hall of Fame in Saginaw County, Michigan. As you'll learn during my conversation with Jeff, this area northwest of Detroit has a rich sporting tradition. Since this museum is very local in nature, many high school athletes and coaches are honored, making this Hall of Fame unique from others I've interviewed for the podcast. For my overtime segment this week, I'll be exploring the life of Lamar Woodley, a star linebacker from Saginaw who was a stud for the great Pittsburgh Steelers teams of the 2000s. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Jeff. Well, today on Hallowed Ground, I'm speaking with Jeff Cottrell, VP and Curator at the Saginaw County Sports Hall of Fame in Michigan. How are you doing today, Jeff? I'm doing great. It's a little bit cold out here this morning. We got a little snow overnight, but uh, but I love it. We're in Michigan. We should have some cold weather. That does sound like Michigan, like you said. So I would love to start off with your background. I think it's it's really cool that you've you've been at the Saginaw County Sports Hall of Fame for a while, and I believe you're from Saginaw. So have you always been interested in sports, and then how did you kind of make your way over to this museum? Well, it's a, a bit of an interesting story. Um Around the time I was in fourth grade, I decided I wanted to be a a high school teacher and I wanted to coach football. So uh, that was my plan when I went to Central Michigan University, which has a a very great tradition of producing top level secondary education teachers. But when I was in school back in the late 90s, early 2000s, it was extremely competitive to get into the education program. didn't look like I was going to make it. So I decided to finish up my degree in broadcast and cinematic arts and uh, just finish up school and move on because I knew that all this was going to be costing me lots of money. So I had to finish up. As I was finishing up, I got an opportunity from the Historical Society of Saginaw County to come in for a summer job to uh, work on some video stuff for them that they, some interviews that they had done and some, uh, some stuff that they wanted put together. So I uh, came in for a summer job. About a month after that, I was hired on full-time. And I thought, oh, you know, I'll just stick around for a little bit and then uh, move on to something bigger and better. And uh, in May, I'll have been here 20 years. So <laughs> I've been here quite some time. Um, Congratulations, that's awesome. Thanks. Uh, I've always been interested in sports. I started playing, you know, soccer when I was in kindergarten and then played basketball, played football. Football was really my passion. And I played it from basically third grade up through my junior year of high school. But by that time, the love was gone for playing and it was work and I wasn't willing to put in the time in the weight room that I really needed to. And I was worried that I was just going to go out there and hurt myself or, you know, just ride the pine. And none of those sounded appealing to me. So I decided to, you know, step back from, you know, running track and, and, uh, and playing football at that point when um, I finished up my junior year of high school, but I never lost the passion for sports and I've always been a history buff. I remember as a kid, we'd take, you know, family trips during the summer, we'd go to places like Gettysburg. And uh, all these other places, there'd always be a history aspect of our family vacations. And that's what I really wanted to do. I wanted to teach history and broadcasting and uh, coach high school football. 
and uh, now I work in a history museum and I coached, I ended up coaching football for about 10 years. It's interesting how people have different family vacation kind of styles, whether that's going to the beach or going to history um, museums or historic sites, because that's how I grew up. We went to a lot of major cities on the East Coast and the Midwest and went to baseball stadiums and the the various museums of all types in those cities. And I think that's really where my my love for history started, which is cool to share that with you, Jeff. So I would love to have you explain Saginaw County in general for people who don't know the area about how big is it? What are some towns in the in the county and just kind of describe the region for us? Sure. Saginaw has been the county seat of Saginaw basically since the Treaty of 1819, which is when the Anishinaabe uh, tribe here in the area ceded most of lower Michigan to the federal government. Right here in Saginaw, they signed the treaty. General Cass, who ended up running for president uh, in 1844, he was the guy who came and negotiated with people like Ogamon and some other of the natives who were here. Saginaw County has about uh, 190,000 people total. The city itself is somewhere around 48,000 people. We hit a peak uh, here in Saginaw in around 1960 with just under 100,000 people. But Saginaw was right along I-75, right down, right up from Flint and Detroit. Saginaw was a GM town. You know, there was over 10,000 people employed by General Motors here in Saginaw, not necessarily building cars, but Saginaw was a foundry town. So lots of hardworking guys around molten iron, pouring parts. And uh, if you can imagine it being you know, 80, 90 degrees outside, it was like 120 inside those buildings and it was nasty and dirty and so dangerous. And the highlight is a lot of these guys were able to make middle-class lives for their families. They were able to buy a motorhome or buy a, a cottage or take family vacations because there was good jobs with good pay. After the gas crisis in, 19, in the 1970s, iron fell out of favor as in favor of aluminum parts and that started the decline of Saginaw and now we have some we have one plant left that has maybe 500 employees approximately so Saginaw has seen lots of hard times like like the Flints and the Detroits but we're tough you know that we have uh one of the big towns we have right here in Saginaw County is called Frankenmuth and it is a major tourist destination. It is a, a German town. We have lots of German Im immigrants in the area. And you go into Frankenmuth and, you know, everything is built up for the tourists. They have festivals every weekend. They have Oktoberfest. They have, at one point, they have wiener dog races. You know, they do all kinds of, of fun things. They've had multiple breweries there over, uh, you know, the past hundred years or so that it's been there. Other smaller communities include uh, where I, my family's been in the same part of Saginaw since 1860s. Um, that's over in uh, Thomas Township. That's Swan Valley Schools. Uh, there's Freeland, which is another growing area. St. Charles was a mining community up and up through the 1950s. They mined coal there before they found cheaper and better coal in places like West Virginia and Pennsylvania. But Saginaw County is 
blue collar, working class, you know, grab your lunch pail and, and go to work kind of place. Yeah, thanks for that description. I think it's great that it's been around for so long and had those hardworking values. And that plays into the sports um, of the town, I'm sure. So before we get to the sports, I would love for you to describe the building that the Sports Hall of Fame is in, because I think it's a really unique building and plays into your other your other job as well, I believe. So can you kind of explain the location of the Sports Hall of Fame? Sure. The Saginaw County Sports Hall of Fame is located in the former lobby of what was built as a post office in 1898. Back in 1898, they decided to build federal buildings to reflect some of the local heritage. And somebody decided that the, the some of the first people in this area were the French fur traders. So they built the post office to look like a French chateau. It's a giant castle. It's over 60,000 square foot. And uh, there's you know, turrets, you know, that, that are on the side, the, the round parts with a, with a pointy top that look like a top of a birthday hat. So it's a really unique building. So it was built in 1898 and we're in what was the original lobby right by the original entrance. But in the 1930s, the building was too small. So they decided that they were going to tear it down and the community rallied behind it. And uh, they were able to convince the government to make a major expansion on it. So in 1937, they enlarged it by quite a bit, and it was the main post office for northern Michigan. Mail went through Saginaw to get sorted and sent out to the smaller communities in northern Michigan. I'll include a picture of it in the show notes for this episode because I think it's a really cool structure, and um, I love that they were able to preserve the history and the building through that community kind of organizing. I think that's really neat and shows those kind of blue-collar values and coming together as a community to, to save history. So. That's a really neat space for you all, I'm sure. So if you look at the picture of the museum, if you're looking at the front of the building with the, the flagpole right there and you see five giant windows across the front, that's where the Sport Hall of Fame is. Sounds good. I'll be sure to, to point that out in the show notes. I know you all had an induction ceremony in early November. So can you kind of talk people through the induction process for your Hall of Fame and then how the induction ceremony went? Anybody can be nominated to our Sports Hall of Fame. So when somebody wants to be nominated, they go to our webpage or download and fill out a PDF and mail it into us. And they say, this is the person we want to nominate. Here's some of their accolades. Here's, you know, some of the things that they did. And from there, it gets sent to the chairperson of our selection committee. The selection committee chair makes sure that all the people on the committee get the uh, the information, and then they will take all those individuals and teams and assign each of them a score on a, on a matrix. You know, they get points for this, they get points for that. And after they, uh, they go through all that, they just decide who the top people are, the top point earners of the, the athletes. We have a contributors category. We have a team's category. And, you know, some categories that change from time to time, the selection committee puts together a ballot and they they uh, bring the ballot to the entire board of directors and say, this is who we want as our ballot. And we just kind of the, the interesting thing is that the board does get say they always ask for uh, before they have their selection committee meeting to decide who's on the ballot. They ask us to fill out a form, say, hey, who do you think should be in? 
here, who do you think is the top female athlete? What's the team that we're forgetting about? And they want to know, they lean on us to kind of give them a little bit of direction. And then they use that and their rankings and come back to us with who they want on the ballot. And then the ballot gets uh, sent out to our lifetime voting membership. So anyone can sign up to be a lifetime voting member. They get the ballots with the biographies of the people and uh, the ballot form. They fill out the ballot form and mail it back to us. Then we count them up and see who uh, who makes it in. Cool. It's really neat that that's so communal and so um, kind of process oriented with the various committees and then the the voting membership body. That's a, a really unique way to do it, I think. And one of the inductees this year was Lamar Woodley, who I recognize his name as a football fan. And he was on those great Steelers teams of the last 15 years or so as a linebacker. So was he able to be at the induction ceremony and what was kind of his impact as a as a Saginaw um, resident? Oh man, it's, it's hard to explain how much he has done for this community. I know he has been gone, but he never forgot his roots. Um, he played on that, that amazing 1999 Saginaw high state championship football team, who I'm sure we'll talk about, but once he made it to the NFL, he would do great things. He would come back to the Saginaw high. He, when I was coaching there, he bought all the kids cleats and gloves. So everybody had a brand new set of, of, of cleats and gloves, which is important for these kids because his high school, Saginaw High, is an inner city school. And, uh, and they have some inner city problems. So he would take care of that. Then the Saginaw Public School District decided that they could not pay for all the sports. So they decided they were going to make it a pay to play kind of situation. But again, there's financial struggles in Saginaw and Lamar came in and said, you know what, I'm not just going to pay for all the student athletes at Saginaw high where I went to school. I'm going to pay for all the kids who go to Arthur Hill, my rival high school. So they don't wow. have to worry about all that stuff. And he would come back and he would do football camps and he wouldn't just bring himself. You know, I remember one time he brought Marshawn Lynch to Saginaw. He would bring names and people who these kids look up to and they would be able to work with these guys and have conversations and just learn some things about football and grow. And so he, the, his impact on this community has been felt. And he has not forgotten where he's where he came from, and he still showers love on Saginaw whenever he can. That's awesome. I love when um, athletes and other sports figures give back to their local communities, and and paying for the fees for the rival high school like that's that's really special, and that shows those bonds that are made in these smaller or even mid sized communities where everybody's tight knit and they they know each other, and there's some respect there. From the rivals, even if it's it's mean and tough on the field, there's some mutual respect. And especially if you're a, a famous alum, you're able to give back and help support these kids that are the next Lamar Woodley or the next doctor or lawyer. So that's a really, really awesome story. Thanks for sharing that about him. Yeah, he's he's a good guy. And uh, he brought his uh, his Super Bowl jersey. So for this so we could display that at our induction banquet. So that was pretty cool. That's great. Who are some other notable names of inductees or athletes who maybe haven't been inducted yet, but will be one day from the Saginaw area? Oh, 
Well, I'm glad you asked because I made a list. Sweet. All right. Also going in with uh, this a couple of weeks ago in our class of 2022 was Charles Rogers, who might have been the most gifted athlete to ever come out of Saginaw. He was a Blitnikoff winner at Michigan State, played two seasons, tore up Michigan State's record books, um, was the second overall draft pick in uh, NFL draft for the Detroit Lions, uh, broke his collarbone his rookie season, three plays into his second season, he broke his collarbone again, and it just didn't pan out after that. Uh, but he was amazing. What an athlete. Roy Manning Jr., he was another guy. Uh, he's currently an, the assistant head coach for defense at uh, USC, staying out there in California. And uh, one of uh, Saginaw's favorite basketball players is Saginaw High's Draymond Green. Um, he's still tearing it up in the NBA. Mark Macon, if you if you reach back into the the 80s and early 90s, Mark Macon was a heck of a basketball player for Buena Vista High School, then played at Temple and made it to the NBA as well. Terry Urich played on Arthur Hill's 1973 undefeated, unscored on team, parlayed that into uh, a scholarship at Notre Dame, and he was on the the cover of Sports Illustrated in 1978 after Notre Dame beat Texas in a bowl game. I can't remember which bowl game that is, but uh, actually I just got a copy of that Sports Illustrated in from a donor this past week, so I was excited about that one. Durrani Pitts played at Stanford, played in NFL Europe. Uh, Monty Brown was a Bridgeport guy. He played uh, at Ferris State University, D2, then with the Buffalo Bills. But he's kind of more known as uh, the alpha male in WWE wrestling. So he was a professional wrestler. One of my boys, Cliff Ryan, played uh, at Arthur Hill, then Michigan State, played with the St. Louis Rams. Uh, he's one of our board of directors. He's a great guy. He was a great athlete. Uh, Stu Schwager, um, he played in Saginaw for Saginaw Heritage, played for uh, Purdue, then played for the Raiders, and I, I know he was with the Lions for a little while. So now that he is going to be inducted into the Purdue Athletics Hall of Fame, so congratulations, Stu. One of my favorite stories about Saginaw athletes is Bill Watson. He was an African-American track guy in the 1930s and was the first African-American captain at U of M for their track team and basically was a decathlete who would beat other teams by himself. He would just outscore entire opponents with just his events. Aaron Reed, she was a basketball player here in Saginaw, played over there at Kansas where you're at in the yeah. mid-late 90s. Craig Dill was an ABA champion with the, the Pittsburgh Pipers. He's, so he's one of our guys that has an ABA championship ring. Kurt Young, another Arthur Hill guy, uh, was a baseball player, and uh, played in the World Series uh, with Oakland in the late 80s. Been a pitching coach uh, after that. I don't remember where he's currently at, but I think he's in Arizona with the Diamondbacks organization. I'm not positive on that, though. But uh, Danielle Cam, she uh, went to Nouvelle Catholic Central, then uh, went to Marquette, was, scored over 1,000 points in her career, Tori Jankoska, she played for Freeland, then played at Michigan State, and uh, 
got to have a cup of coffee in the WNBA. And now she's uh, an assistant basketball coach at uh, university. I could go on, but that's yeah. sampling uh, of what we ha- of some of the athletes from Saginaw. Yeah, thanks for coming prepared with the list. I think that's great to share these names. And you have folks like Draymond Green and um, Charles Rogers, who maybe are more famous and have some other accolades in professional sports, but then like they're from Saginaw and their stories are deserving of being told. But then you also have high school athletes or folks that played at maybe a small school like Ferris State or uh, elsewhere and they and they uh, succeeded in college and and did really well and stayed in the Saginaw area maybe so I think a lot of the athletes you mentioned were either Saginaw High athletes or Arthur Hill athletes and when you initially reached out to me Jeff about um, the podcast you you pitched this story about these two famed high schools with all these athletes and famous teams and and now they've kind of come on hard times and are are combined into school so can you kind of tell people the story of Saginaw High and Arthur Hill High School oh the high and the hill there's no neutrality in that one. You are one or the other, or you absolutely do not care about sports. So both of them started their high schools, high school being uh, junior year and senior year. They both started their high schools in 1866 because originally Saginaw was two cities. There was Saginaw City and there was East Saginaw and they were rivals you know, one had a had the city laid out like a grid, and then the east side was uh, a boom town, so there was roads going every which way, and they were rivals, so if one got something, you better believe the other one's going to go and get the same thing. So in 1866, both of them started their high schools. The cities were combined uh, by the the government in 1889, but it wasn't for another nearly 40 years that they combined the two school districts. And uh, so that was in the 1920s, maybe 26. And uh, so these schools have been rivals ever since. A lot of these kids knew each other, you know, they would, you know, have a cousin who lived over in that neighborhood. So they knew some athletes or, you know, they would play youth sports with some of these other people, but there is no love lost between them. And both have had major successes in athletics, you know, in basketball, Uh, both teams have won state championships in basketball, both have won multiple in football. Arthur Hill had a swim team in the the mid forties that was co-national champions for the high school area. As time went on, the schools went from being huge, huge schools. When my mom went to Arthur Hill, there were so many kids there that they had to go in shifts. Some kids would go on the first shift. Some kids would go on the second shift. And it was similar over at Arthur Hill. We're talking 2,500, 3,000 students in each of these schools. But now people have with a school of choice and open enrollment and the, you know, the problems of some inner city schools, they've shrunk dramatically. Saginaw High is somewhere in the three to 400 student range. Arthur Hill is in the 800 range approximately. So even after these two schools combine, uh, I believe two years from now, it's already been approved by the voters to build the school and combine. But even after they combine these two schools, they still won't even be the largest school in the county. So 
they've always measured themselves against each other. If if they got if one school got this far, then the other school is well, we got one step further, or we had the better players, or you know, if the ball would have bounced our way, you know, whatever it may be. But uh, it doesn't get down to fighting usually, but it can get into some heated arguments about who had the better team or who had the better players. But now some of the history is seems like it could be forgotten. So what the school is doing is that they're uh, once the new high school gets built, they're going to make sure that they bring in some of the, the big time trophies, like the 1973 Arthur Hill undefeated on scored on trophy, uh, the Saginaw high 1999 state championship trophy. Um, some of these uh, state championships in basketball, like when Draymond was playing and they're going to make sure that these kids know their history, all that stuff is accessible. So the people who came before them and paved the way aren't forgotten. Yeah. I think that's important, especially when you're in a high school, you, I went to a new high school that was like seven or eight years old when I started. So it was, we didn't have those traditions. We didn't have those rivalries except with the older high school across town, but we had to kind of build up these, these traditions and things like that. So it's really cool that they're being intentional about preserving those old trophies and and having that history told to the current students once that new school is built. Why don't we talk about the 1973 Arthur Hill team? I think that's a really great story and great team, it sounds like. So what's been the impact of that team on the, on the community? Man, that team, they basically scored a point a minute. They finished the season with uh, scoring 443 points and gave up zero. Wow. You know, there was, there was, we just, uh, one of the guys we inducted at our induction banquet, uh, a guy named Ron Rummel, he was the quarterback for that team. And, uh, you know, he went in and played at Central Michigan and, uh, you know, made a heck of a career for himself here in Saginaw doing sales. Uh, Terry Murphy, we talked about him a little bit, being on the cover of Sports Illustrated. Paul Walderzak went and played at Nebraska. Ended up being a, a high school coach for a long, long time, a teacher and a coach up in Standish, Michigan, a little bit north of here. You know, we do have that game film. Uh, we were able to get our hands on it. So it's been digitized and preserved. And, you know, when I was doing some editing on it, they would show the, the scoreboard, but it was on there for so quick and it was old, you know, film. So you just couldn't see it that well. So I was able to to pause on it. And so you could actually see the scores that they're just going up and up and up and up. And most of the time when you watch the, the game film, it's either the defense stuffing someone or one of the running backs just blowing past somebody. It was, it was crazy. It, it was, they were crazy good and they deserve that state championship for sure. Oh yeah. They had to win if they weren't letting anybody score. That's incredible to have that over 10, 12 games in a season. And then what about the Saginaw team in 1999 with Charles Rogers and Lamar Woodley? A lot of those guys like played in college, played in the pros. So um, that sounds like an incredible team too. Yeah. Okay. Check this out. There was 37 players on that team. 24 of those players played college football. 10 of those 24 played division one. Six of those guys went to the NFL. Three of those guys 
Lamar Woodley, Ron Stanley, and Torrey Humphrey have Super Bowl rings. We're not, we're not even talking about the quarterback of that team, Anthony Roberson. He played in the NBA. Or how about Kirk Carruth? He, does, he played Division II, but was a four-time national champion at Grand Valley State University. Charleston Hughes played a little bit in the NFL, went to the Canadian Football League, is still playing. He's played over 200 games in the CFL, and he has 134 sacks in his career. And the, the record in the CFL is 154, so he's way up there. Um, we talked a little bit about Charles. Man, that guy was a stud. He was – I don't even know how to describe watching him play because he would just make it look so effortlessly. And the dude had a giant heart. He always wanted to help whoever he could. He was the type of guy that give me the shirt off his back. That was just kind of how he was. Lamar Woodley, man. Yeah, we talked about him. I just remember how excited Saginaw got when he made that final sack in the Super Bowl to basically finish out the game. And uh, it was so exciting. And everybody in Saginaw was going nuts. Yeah, they were just one of those teams that were stacked, you know. And Coach Don Durrett, he is uh, a man of high integrity. He was a coach. And uh, and he was gave those kids tough love at times. But they always knew that he cared about him. And I, I'd be uh, remiss if I didn't mention uh, Marshall Thomas, who was the basketball coach and uh, administrator at the school, but same kind of guy that, you know, was coaching Charles Rogers playing basketball and, you know, just was one of those guys that had the highest integrity. And, you know, it was, that was one thing I learned from those guys is, you know, you have to keep your integrity about yourself and you have to do things the right way or else you're going to lose that integrity. And that's kind of the story of these guys. You know, they didn't, they didn't have, the coaches didn't have them out there running all summer. It was the leaders of that team. They held each other responsible. They said, Oh, you know, what are we going to do? You know, they, there was none of that. The, the leaders stepped up and said, here's what we're going to do. Shoot. Even Lamar Woodley was a freshman on that team and ended up being the starting left tackle in the state championship game. He didn't know exactly what he was supposed to be doing. So every play he'd ask the guard, Hey, Hey, what am I doing on this play? And, uh, and then when the game was on the line, they ran a sweep left to his side, and he laid the key block to spring the, the running back for a big game and basically ice it to, to win the state championship. Birmingham brother Rice, who, uh, who had a you know legendary coach of their own in Al Fracasso, who won more games. I believe he's won more games in Michigan State football history than any other high school coach. I love that story about Lamar Woodley too. And it takes me back to my own high school baseball days. I didn't play football, but played baseball and just loved it. It was such a fun experience and it taught me a lot about adversity and teamwork and those lessons that especially high school sports teach people. And um, I still look back on that fondly, even though it was a few years ago now and just the ties that that team in Saginaw had to the community. It sounds really special. So um, I love hearing those stories about great teams for sure. Yeah, and the band for uh, Saginaw High, man, they were awesome. They had like a 
traditional traditional black college band where they would march and they would you know have drum lines that were just out of this world they were so good i was that was always my one of my favorite things when i coached there is is kind of lingering a little bit you know at halftime to hear the band play <laughs> yeah i was a band kid myself so i miss those days and that was my my contribution to the football team for sure for those who don't know, I put out a questionnaire to each of my guests and something that you wrote, Jeff, really stuck out to me before we started talking where you talked about you look at yourself as a caretaker of the items in the collection over being an owner of these goods. So I want you to elaborate on that a little more because I really love how you put that being a caretaker for the items in the collection. Sure. Well, people come and donate stuff to us, to our collection and technically it belongs to us, but I don't see it that way. What I see it as is I'm just the person that has the knowledge on how to take care of these things. And they don't belong to us. They belong to the community. They belong to those teams or those individuals. And we're preserving their story. And if an officer says, comes in and says, you know, our class is having a, you know, our class reunion, do you have anything? Then I go through and find their trophies that if we have any in the collection and make sure that they have them and jerseys or whatever I have so they can they can remember those times. Because, you know, with sports, it's all about reminiscing about what happened. You get a bunch of former teammates together, you know that some game or some other player or something is going to come up in that conversation and it's going to take a, you know, a little while to get back on track because somebody's always emotional about it. And there's always so many good memories or tough memories that go along with sports. And I just want to take care of these pieces so the next generation can learn the stories or the generations that earn these pieces can bring them back out and reminisce and say, hey, you know what? What we did was pretty special. And, you know, they get to spend time together and uh, have make more positive memories. Yeah, I love that. And then something else you mentioned was you see yourself as working in the human industry. And I, I love that because that's really what museums and sports museums are, is they're, they're telling these stories, they're preserving these memories, but they're all about people. They're all about these events where people come together. And can you kind of elaborate on the human industry side of your job? Because I really like how you put that. Yeah, yeah. Working in a museum is not about just collecting old stuff because the stuff is meaningless without the story. We don't just collect stuff. We collect stories. And telling those stories is how you make a piece important. Because if, if it's just an old football, who cares? It's an old football. But if you're telling me that this was the football that the 1973 Arthur Hill you know, state champion team used, then I'm way more interested. Or if it's a trophy, oh, cool, they had a good team. But if it if there was a bunch of adversity and you know they the star player went down with an injury and then they had to bring somebody off the bench or and it's it's all about the stories that are important. The, the objects are really great for visuals, but people come to museums for for the stories to to learn about what happened in the past. And that's kind of how we do it. You know, we we say, here's this piece, but it's significant because of this. And it all kind of ties back into the emotions that people put into sports. It's, you know, people remember all the good times and, you know, 
all the hard workouts that they had and all that stuff going, you know, it's just, it's bringing together the objects and the stories and telling people what happened and the people who have their items on display, you know, they get really excited when you, when you put out their items and tell their story, because a lot of times they'd say, Oh, you, you actually care about this, this, you know, I, I was going to throw this stuff away. But when I, when I'm over there flipping out over a piece that they want to donate and they're telling me the story and I'm writing it down as fast as I can. And I'm, you know, interacting and act, asking the questions, then they get about as proud as the day that they, they won that or whatever event happened. And the human part of museums is really important because without it, it's just a collection of stuff. Thanks for sharing that, Jeff. I think that's that's so important, and especially in the Saginaw County Sports Museum or Sports Hall of Fame, where it's kind of a wide ranging collection because you have a lot of um, high school artifacts, I'm sure, and trophies, and maybe some photographs. But then you maybe have um, professional and college artifacts and memorabilia too, because it's not just for like one team or one um, sport. You're kind of a wide ranging collection. So does that make things a little bit harder? Or does that make the stories even more? even more fun. I think it makes it more fun because it's not just one subject. You can pull from so many different areas. We had an exhibit at the castle at the, at the castle museum of Saginaw County history um, from the Smithsonian. We were the first ones to get it. It was uh, about the Latinx baseball experience. And uh, so we tried to put together a local component with some of our, our, our local Latinx baseball play teams. Um, there was they weren't always allowed to play on the, at the same place that everybody else was, so they built their own one. And we, you know, we were able to get photos of that, and then bring in some of our the items that relate to baseball from our collection, mainly the Sports Hall of Fame collection, and display those alongside with it. And it just kind of helps tell the local aspect of a larger story. Right. Especially in like a traveling exhibition like that, you want to make it real for people in Saginaw County and, and tying in those photographs and artifacts from the teams in that area that just makes the story more local. It brings families into it. And I think that's a really important piece of it. I would love for you to tell people where people can find the Saginaw County Sports Hall of Fame. Sure. The Saginaw County Sports Hall of Fame is located inside the Castle Museum of Saginaw County History, 500 Federal Avenue, Saginaw, Michigan, 48607. You can check us out on our website, www.saginawcountysports.org. And we're also on Facebook and Instagram. I think our Instagram handle is S-C-S-H-O-F, Saginaw County Sport Hall of Fame, abbreviated, just uh, the first letters. And the Castle Museum, the building itself is castlemuseum.org. Awesome. I've only been to Michigan once, and I was just passing through the Detroit airport, so I need to make it up there and kind of tour the state. I, I would love to visit up there. I know it's a, a beautiful part of the country, and if I'm ever in Saginaw, I'll be sure to check out the Sports Hall of Fame and the Castle Museum and and all of the other amenities of the town. So um, thank you so much for your time, Jeff. This was a great conversation, and I loved your passion for local history and preserving these stories for the folks in Saginaw. So thank you. Thank you. 
I'm currently reading Walking Miracle, a memoir from former Pittsburgh Steelers linebacker Ryan Shazier. He talks about his inspiring recovery from a spinal cord injury suffered in 2017. Saginaw, Michigan is the hometown of another great Steelers linebacker of the 2000s. In this episode's overtime segment, I'm excited to explore one of the most underrated NFL linebackers of my lifetime, Lamar Woodley. Lamar Woodley was born on November 3, 1984 and grew up in Saginaw, Michigan. And as Jeff described during our interview, those Saginaw high school teams from Lamar's era have reached legendary status in that community. Lamar was a freshman offensive lineman for the 1999 Saginaw High School State Champions and played both sides of the ball during his high school career. He became a highly decorated recruit at Saginaw, which was a winning program over Woodley's high school career. Saginaw won three league titles, district titles, and regional championships during Woodley's four years. He also starred on the basketball court, averaging a double-double as a senior. After his senior season, Woodley was named the Gatorade Football Player of the Year in Michigan and was a parade All-American. He committed to play at the University of Michigan, which is about 85 miles south of Saginaw. As a Wolverine, Woodley, 6'2 and 265 pounds, played all four years and had an outstanding senior season, recording 12 sacks, which led the Big Ten Conference, and forcing and recovering four fumbles. Woodley won the Lombardi Award, given to the nation's top defensive lineman, and the Hendricks Award, given to the top defensive end. He was a first-team All-American. Lamar Woodley was drafted in the second round of the 2007 NFL Draft by the Pittsburgh Steelers. The Steelers also drafted longtime defensive stalwarts Lawrence Timmons and William Gay in 2007. Quite the haul. In Woodley's second season in Pittsburgh, he was a big part of a stellar Steelers defense who helped the team win the Lombardi Trophy over the Arizona Cardinals in Super Bowl 43. And it was Woodley who sacked Kurt Warner with five seconds left, forcing a fumble to clinch the title for Pittsburgh. That sack capped off a dominant postseason stretch for Woodley, who recorded two sacks in each of his three playoff games that season, plus had two more in the Steelers' lone playoff game the season before. In eight career playoff games, he recorded 11 sacks. That is tied for six all-time in career playoff sacks. Woodley was a pro bowler and named second-team All-Pro in 2009, after recording 13.5 sacks and leading the league with 20 tackles for loss. He played seven total years in Pittsburgh before single years with the Raiders and Cardinals. Lamar Woodley retired after the 2015 season. He finished his career with 58 sacks, 73 tackles for loss, and three touchdowns. Lamar scored via a fumble recovery or interception return each season from 2008 to 2010. And as Jeff mentioned, Lamar remained an active part of the Savannah community during his NFL career. He donated to Saginaw High and hosted youth football camps, plus paid all of the pay-to-play fees for the 2012-2013 school year. What a career and legacy in Saginaw for Lamar Woodley. You can find the Saginaw County Sports Hall of Fame inside the Castle Museum of Saginaw County History or online at saginawcountysports.org, which I'll link to in the show notes for this episode. You can also find the museum on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks to Jeff for a fun conversation. Thank you for checking out Hallowed Ground, the Sports Museum podcast. If you have any suggestions for guests or museums to highlight in future episodes, please email me at hallowedgroundpod at gmail.com. Thanks in advance. Until next time, sports fans.